In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. This is the third Sunday of Atur, and the readings of this month have to do with the Holy Scriptures taking root in our lives so that we may become true followers of Jesus Christ. And uh, since because we are called Christian, uh, and today's Gospel reading also shows us the kind of person that we should be, the kind of person that our Lord Jesus Christ wants us to be. He says today in, in, in the Gospel that we just read, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And so somebody may can be confused at this saying and say, how is it that Christ is commanding us to uh, hate our children, our parents, our brothers and sisters, and to abandon even that natural affection that we're all born with uh, for those closest to us. Away with the thought, of course, that uh, he wants us to hate people uh, and even our enemies, right? Uh, because this is not what he means here. How can Christ, who commanded us to love one another, even love our enemies, here ask us to hate uh, our immediate family? And when... Um, and are we supposed to also hate ourselves, like he says here, that we're supposed to hate ourselves, us who Christ died for and resurrected for, that he had the whole divine plan to save us, and we're, we're supposed to hate ourselves. So what then does it mean? What, what does this verse mean, and so that we're not confused? What he's trying to teach us here is clear when we put all the other verses from the other, four go the other three Gospels, uh, especially from St. Uh, the Gospel of St. Matthew, he says, He who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who does not love his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So then it's not that we love uh, or we have love for those closest to us uh, uh, that he's criticizing, but that we put our love or love for anything else above Christ. Um, it's, it's when we love them more than him, that's when we stumble. The lesson is that we shouldn't put anyone or anything in front of Christ, not even ourselves, because we shouldn't even love ourselves before Christ. Um, nothing should be above him in our hearts. God desires us to give him all of our hearts. That's what he desires. He doesn't want anything else except our hearts. In Proverbs 23, he says, my son, give me your heart. And in Colossians, he says, set your heart on things above, not on things of the earth. And Deuteronomy, we're all very familiar with this one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart. You shall love your Lord, the, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So we understand it even more fully, uh, fully when we consider all the other verses preceding uh, what happened, uh, what we read today, um, in the same chapter in the parable of the Great Supper. So he says that um, the kingdom of heaven is like uh, somebody who prepares a great feast, like maybe Thanksgiving or something, and you work really hard and you prepare this great feast. Um, you, you've, you who have uh, hosted people at your house, you know how difficult it is. You clean the house, you present the entertainment, you have the food, of course, and it's a lot of work. And then, but each one, one by one, they give excuses as to why they can't come to this feast that you worked so hard to uh, prepare for them and that you invited them to come. Um, the parable goes on to, to, um, to express how that man was very angry, and you can relate, and he was very vexed by it because he put many things um, over the company of his uh, friend, 
who would sacrifice a lot to prepare a meal for them, but they all one by one made excuses and, and decided not to come. I guess it's similar to how we would be if it, like if we had that same meal, right? And we prepared so hard and somebody would just provide us any kind of excuse and decided not to come, it kind of would hurt, right? And we would uh, somewhat kind of take it personally and we'd have this internal struggle about it. Um, but this is how it is t today as well. <clears throat> Christ invites us to many things. Sometimes we make excuses when Christ invites us to the many blessings that he offers us. He invites us to attend liturgies, which we, of course, thank God that we're still able to do, even though it's with a little bit more effort. He invites us to serve. He invites us to give support to the ministries and services of the church. He invites us to partake of the many graces offered to us, such as the Eucharist and the forgiveness of sins. But sometimes we don't take advantage of these invitations. And instead, we choose other priorities and we make excuses. By doing so, we admit that we love these other things more than we love Christ himself. Even family is used as, as sometimes an, as an excuse to come closer to God uh, and to refuse the Lord's invitations. We hide sometimes even behind our own families and use them as an excuse. When, um, when has worshiping God, of course, become an obstacle for our families? On the contrary, when we worship God and we and we like raise our children up to wake up early in the morning to come to church, it never hurts them. In, in fact, it benefits them and it benefits the family. And when is it that when you give uh, of your alms, the almsgiving, when does it ever hurt you? In fact, it blesses you and God always blesses the little that we make and, and he has it to increase more and more. So he asked us uh, to put two things behind um, the love of God. Those whom we love the most, which is our families, and our own, our own precious families. And more than that, he even tells us to put our own lives behind the love of God. Of course, though, our love for God does not contradict our love for our families, and it doesn't contradict even our love for ourselves. Um, even... Um, even it doesn't even contradict the love for our enemies, right? Even those who persecute or kill us, we should love them. I love the quote by St. Augustine who says, we love him for his sake. We love each other for his own sake. When we have love for, um, when, when our love for others is founded on God's love, then we know it's founded firmly. It's a more effective, it's a deeper, long-lasting kind of love that's stable. Um, all the heart is given to God, and within this love, we love everyone else. Any love for others that is outside the love of God is going to stumble, and is destined for pain, and it's destined for misery, and is destined for heartbreaks. It's a false type of love which contradicts God's love, and is stronger, um, and is stronger in the heart than the love for God. Right? Unholy relationships are a very good example of this. Uh, unholy friendships or relationships that are outside of the God of love or the love of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. The word do not be deceived, of course, shows that it's tricky. Before you realize it, it's too late, and we've now become uh, impacted by that false friendship and that false um, relationship that we have. So unholy love for others are destined to end, and usually it ends with a lot of misery and pain. But holy relationships, they last forever and even conquer death. That's the advantage of a holy relationship where God's love is founded and is the center of that relationship. So then our love for others should be founded on God's love. When those whom we love fail us, and they will fail us, 
right? Because we are human and everyone we love is human and they will fail us, right? Because we all make mistakes. We have a thousand failures in a whole day, right? And, and there's always a reason uh, to let go of love for each other. But when we place our love on, uh, on God and we love others for the sake of God, uh, our love for them will endure because it's founded on God who never fails us. Our affections do not have a better home than on Jesus Christ our Lord, who alone is worthy of our affections. And everyone else kind of receives from that love of God that we have in our hearts. And when we seek out friendships and relationships, let's make sure that Christ is there in the midst of that relationship. And if, even if there's a friendship that started unholy, it can turn to be holy if both agree and, uh, and they make decisions uh, to make that happen. But there's a greater love that is more threatening to conflict with the love of God than our love for others, and that's, of course, the love for ourselves. Our, the love for ourselves is in greatest competition with the love for God. This is, um, there's a fundamental spiritual rule that the biggest conflict we'll have to get closer to God is that struggle that we have from within, that, that struggle that's inside of us, that we all have to go through. The biggest spiritual warfare is the fight uh, that's the internal war that we go through. Even more than the spiritual war from the world or from Satan um, himself is the war that's inside of us, right? That's the one that we struggle. Sometimes we are our own worst enemies. Um, but So in today's gospel, Christ says, if we do not hate our own life also, we cannot be his disciple. He means that when he calls us to himself to make us enjoy the blessings and joy, and the joys that he has to offer, which only come from him. We cannot put up excuses like the person who was invited to the feast or allow anything else to get in the way from us accepting that invitation to the heavenly banquet. Even the internal lusts, you know, when we struggle against ourselves, those internal lusts, the desires, pride, laziness, greed, and all the other hindrances that, um, that exist inside of us, we have to enter into that spiritual warfare. We have to start that war, that internal war, so that we could overcome as well. We have to build that spiritual tower, as the parable says today, which is why he gives us those two examples to motivate us in today's reading. The first one was the logistics of building a tower. So when you build anything in your house, a remodeling or a big project, we must first prepare maybe drawings. We have to quantify the amount of material that's necessary. We have to apply unit prices to them. And then we come up with a cost estimate on how much it's going to cost to add a new floor to our, our, um, our house or something like that. <clears throat> and then once we find out how much, we add a little bit of a contingency just in case. And then we start saving money and we start collecting money so that we can build the project so that halfway through the project, we don't run out of resources and then the project fails us, right? In the same way, before we begin the spiritual buildings inside of us, that spiritual effort, we need to gather the sufficient spiritual resources. Determination, we have to have zeal, preparedness, discipleship of someone more experienced, and of course, we have to take on faith. Um, the second example that he gives us today was, um, he, he likened the spiritual war is like, or spiritual struggle is like a king who went out to war against another king. Uh, we need to recognize that we are indeed in a war. It, some people don't recognize that, but we should, as Christians, recognize that part of our reality is a warfare, a spiritual type of warfare. We need to recognize that we're in a war. And against an evil world, against Satan and all of his evil powers, and of course against ourselves with our worldly desires. These, this is the warfare. Just like the king in the parable that we read today needed to accurately assess 
the strength of his, uh, of his enemy and how many soldiers he has before he makes the war. We need to do the same before we enter that spiritual warfare. And this, of course, makes total sense. You'll find this uh, kind of understanding and wisdom in every country and every uh, society, right? Like, for example, um, haphazardly, I was reading uh, Sun Tzu's Art of War. It was written in the 5th century BC, about 2,500 years ago. And uh, there's a quote in there that uh, has to do with what we're talking about today. It says, it is, it is only one who is thoroughly acquainted with the evils of war that can thoroughly understand the profitable way of carrying it on. So we have to understand the nature of the warfare that we're about to struggle against. Scripture is consistent with this when it says, like for example in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We understand our enemy as Scripture shows us, and also as the church fathers tell us of their experiences, like for example in the desert fathers who battled against uh, the, desert, the, uh, the, uh, the demons in the desert. And once we recognize this, we, we use the source of victory, which is, of course, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives us the authority, of course, to tread on serpents and scorpions and upon all the power of the enemy. Um, he gives us that salt, which is the word of God, which we read it often and allow it to transform our lives. Um, we will have flavor in the world and not be dissolved in the world like everyone else. But just like the loving God does not hinder us, but enhances the true love for others. Our love for God does not hinder our love for others. It does not hinder our love for ourselves. Um, it only enhances the true love. Because what other benefit can we give even to ourselves than to grow in a relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ? If we truly loved ourselves like we should, then that true love for ourselves and true love for each other, then we would cast aside everything else that hinders us from the best thing in our life, which is our relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no even second in comparison. This is the only thing that really does provide us that blessed and happy life and that most fulfilling life, and those things endure even into eternity. So we have to... Um, so, so to have that oneness with him to its fullest, we have to put aside our love for others and put aside our love uh, for ourselves and our desires and lusts. But he takes it even one step further, saying something dearest to our own life, uh, our own self is our own life. We have to even sacrifice that at times. To be close to him, we often have to bear the crosses that God has given to us. Um, he gives each of us crosses. We all have small crosses. Some of us have big crosses but we all have crosses that we can all endure. Some of us are able to endure more. I knew uh, some people, for example, who are riddled with family issues, financial issues, and, and uh, health issues, uh, and they're bravely taking it on. And I'm looking at them like, how do, how do they even do that? Of course, it's not them, it's the grace of God that holds them up. Others have little crosses in their life, and they, and they complain about it, right? And we complain about the crosses we have, but we know that God only gives the crosses that we're able to carry. And when we do carry those little crosses that God gives us, that works towards our salvation, because this is what He cares about. He cares for our salvation. So therefore, we have to seek and desire uh, to set our affections on the heavenly things, not just the earthly things. These things that we can take with us, um, into heaven later on even on to eternity these are the things that make us have a fulfilling and happy life no matter what the situation and no matter what the crazy world around us is going through we're still stable in in the peace of our life saint cyril of alexandria has a nice quote which i'll read you 
The things of the earth are but of little value and last only for a time and belong to the flesh solely, which is the victim of corruption. But those things which are divine and spiritual constant, constantly and without ceasing accompany those who have once been counted worthy of receiving them and reach onwards to unending worlds. So they last forever with us. We pray that every day um, in the Lord's Prayer that His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want to have as much of heaven on earth as possible. So we start to experience the heavenly things even in this world. And then we experience them more fully uh, when the time comes of our departure. We pray that His will does be done on earth as it is in heaven. When the angels know His will, they immediately perform it right in heaven. We want to be the same way as the angels. We, as soon as we know His will, we want to perform it. We should imitate them and please our Lord just like they do. May the Lord grant all of us to have that perfect love for God that casts out all the fear and, and that grants us the unmovable fortitude of uh, joy that is the quality of all those who follow Him, to whom be glory forever now, now and on to the ages of all ages. Amen.